A mathematician once said, God is like math. You can count on him. What we just heard in the scripture reading of 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a mathematical expression. If, then. If these factors are present, then this will happen. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, as we talk about keys to revival, please revive us again. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has a very special blessing for us at this time in earth's history that has never been available to anyone else. Just before his second coming, he has promised to prepare a people to meet their God, to send, as Peter said, in fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, the Holy Spirit to bless his church, to reinstate the spiritual gifts of ministry as at no other time in history. Jesus gets rid of his enemies first and foremost by making them his friends. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What did Jesus do on the cross? He prayed for his enemies, exactly what he told others to do. Jesus is not a hypocrite, amen? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Sun Tzu was a war leader and a military strategist of in worldly terms, monumental proportions. He wrote a war manual which is still being used by the Pentagon and by basically all nations on earth called the art of war. He was a Chinese leader and he said, to know your enemy, you must, does anyone know the rest of it? Become your enemy. Now, he was talking in terms of military force and war. However, he also said this. He said, and I didn't write that one down, but he said basically, supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Jesus wants to subdue the rebellious human race. And he would prefer to do it without fighting. In order to know your enemy, you must what? Become your enemy. And what did Jesus do? He became us. He came, and the Bible says that He knows how to save us because He suffered in our flesh. And so we can trust that when we follow our commander, Jesus, we're not following someone who has not had the victories that we hope to have. We know that we're following someone that is a skilled warrior. In fact, Jesus, when He was in the human flesh, and He still is, but when He was on earth, he never lost a single battle against Satan. 
Not even one blow got through. He was the superhero of all heroes. Jesus overcomes his enemies by making them his what? His friends. They will say, what are these scars in your hands? The Bible tells us. And he will say, these are the wounds which I received in the house of my friends. His friends used to be his enemies. Isn't Jesus amazing? Sometimes when we are alienated from God, where we feel at distance, we do not have the revival that we so long for. Satan comes with his temptation saying, you will never measure up. You are not good enough. You have these problems. I've told you the story perhaps of my cousin tempting me when I was about five years old to do something very naughty to one of my grandmother's cherished possessions, her beautiful white or a beautiful uh, woolly slippers, warm, warm slippers. And she had spanked us for some infraction that we no doubt deserved, uh, you know, the spanking for. And she had the unfortunate blessing of watching my cousin and I, who was four and I was five. And we, uh, we'd probably deserve that spanking, but I was a little bitter um, because she had a switch bush in the back of her yard and she knew how to use it. And so, uh, you know, she, she didn't, didn't uh, abuse us or anything, I wouldn't say at all, but, but we did get spanked. <laughs> and uh, I thought about a revenge. I thought about dipping one of her slippers into a bucket of paint. Uh, I was an uh, unconverted five-year-old. And my cousin was there to egg me on. And I still can see it as if I'm there almost right now. I was at the bottom of these stairs of her basement, and the stairs went up to the kitchen. And there was a bucket of paint there, and she had the slippers right on the stairs so that she could, or right off the stairs, so that when she came down the stairs to go in the basement, she could have the slippers. And so I kind of pretended that I was going to put it in, and my cousin was there saying, Do it! Do it! Do it! Do it! And it was my other cousin, my girl cousin, who was two years older than I. And I thought, wow, I've got some support here. And this is, this is, uh, this is turning out good. We can, let's do this together. And so I put in the slipper, and immediately she shot up those stairs. Grandma! And she turned me in. <laughs> and boy, did I get another one. <laughs> And so Satan does that. <laughs> now, I was like Satan, too. I'm not trying to blame all the bad on my cousin. I was doing bad things, too. But Satan does that. He will tempt us and make us feel bad. Then he'll come and he'll accuse us. But Jesus is so sympathetic. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I have a short testimony before I continue with uh, this topic of Keys to Revival, and that is that this text really touched my heart with regards to those, with regard to those who have hurt me. Jesus loved me while I was still yet a sinner, and so should I ever harbor resentment or evil thought toward anyone, no matter what they have done to me. Amen. Jesus loved 
Now, it doesn't mean that there's no justice. It doesn't mean that people shouldn't be held accountable for their actions. And yet, why should I carry around that bitterness? Why should I carry around that resentment? They're certainly not feeling any of it. It's just me. <laughs> it's just eating me up. And this text just blessed me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just melted my heart as soon as I... this verse was just impressed. I went through all the people that hate me in my mind. Lord, bless them. Please be with them. Help them. You know, give them health. Give them strength. And that is something that Jesus uh, modeled for us. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a mathematical statement showing that God wants to revive us. He wants to bless us, especially as we near the end of time. As Jesus is going to come, He wants to prepare us for heaven. If we don't take joy in being in God's presence now, what makes us think we're going to want to be sitting through a worship service in heaven and living for eternity, praising Jesus? If we don't love Jesus now, if we don't spend time with Him now and are revived now, then there's no way we're going to be in heaven because that would be torture for us. And so, uh, this is the time right now to be revived. When I was in chemistry class at Berkeley University. I was just taking a, a class at the time, kind of an ex, as an extension student. It was a general chemistry class, and I saw one of the most amazing experiments I've ever seen in my life. It's a favorite. It's a classic. It's called the iodine clock experiment. Anybody heard of the iodine clock experiment? Fascinating. It is composed of hydrogen peroxide plus potassium iodide, starch, and sodium thiosulfate. And you have to have all the elements in order to make the reaction go. So in order to make the reaction go, you need to have the elements all present. And so 2 Chronicles 7.14 is like that formula. If this, then this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then, what? Turn from their wicked ways that's repentance, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So the teacher got this, uh, heal their land. The teacher got this beaker and put this, had the, there's a solution in there, something like hydrogen peroxide, and put some stirring chips at the bottom. So there's a, it's, it's on a surface that has a uh, magnetic uh, movement inside, and it, it moves the chips that you put in to agitate, to make the mixture kind of move around. And then, as we all watched this clear liquid, she poured in some more clear liquid, which was perhaps the potassium iodide, the starch, and the sodium thiosulfate. And we're all looking, waiting, and then as we're watching it stir, after maybe 10 seconds, I can't remember exactly how many seconds it was, the clear liquid turned a beautiful, either, I think it was, let's say cobalt blue. Just suddenly, just, woof, the whole thing turned this beautiful color. And of course, everyone's like, ooh. And then it's still stirring. And we didn't expect what was coming next. It turned this beautiful yellowish 
gold color. Boom. And then all of us are, wow. And then it went back to clear. And we were impressed. It was cycling through. Cycling through. And everything's made up of the same proton, right? And it's just that the light, the bonds, the chemical bonds, allow light to pass through in certain angles and it makes different color. Chemistry is amazing. Well, who created chemistry? God. The periodic table is organized into periods, right? No surprise, it's a periodic table. And it's predictable. You know what's going to happen if you mix these chemicals together because of the number of valence shell electrons that they have and the, the interchange between the outer shell and then the bonds that they make and all that stuff. It's really amazing and complex and yet simple. And it's beautiful. And you see this table in all of the universities of the land and of the, the world because it's such an irreplaceable tool, predictability, dependability. Chemistry is a harder science. There are other sciences, but it's a harder science. Math is the hardest of all the sciences. In other words, it just is that way. You know, you could have a bad day and argue that 2 plus 2 is not 4, and it would still be 4, you know? Uh, and so, predictability, God is predictable. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he says these reactants must be present, you must humble yourself, seek my face, pray, turn from your wicked ways. You have to repent. We cannot subtract the hydrogen peroxide, the potassium iodide, the starch, or the sodium thiosulfate and still expect to see the iodine clock. You can't do it. We have a part in the equation of revival. God says, if, then. Now think with me. Who can create life? Can anyone that you know create life except God? No one can. Scientists have never been able to create life. All they can do is manipulate what's already there. And so... It is true that the farmer cannot make his crop grow to make that seed have life. That principle is already implanted. Who can create a seed? Not one scientist or one person. It takes infinite creative power to create. But while the infinite power of God is required to bring life, Without the farmer tilling the soil, pulling some weeds perhaps, moving some stones out, cooperating with planting at the appropriate time, God's almighty power will not bring the reaction. Even when man has done all that he can, God's power is infinitely superior and infinitely necess more necessary. And yet, man's part is absolutely essential in order for the reaction to take place. Peter said it this way. He said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance 
humbling of our soul before God, turning from our wicked ways. All of these things are essential. Now, God feeds the birds, and we can say that He feeds all of us, but if we don't go to work, if the birds don't go out looking for food, you know, God doesn't have a, a, a system of just titrating that food into their beaks every morning. They have to go out and get it, right? And so Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Be not deceived. Now, if, if the Bible says don't be deceived, that means that there is a high chance that you will be deceived, right? So it's a warning. Don't be deceived. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. God is not mocked for whatever who sows. A man sows. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. What does that mean, sow to the flesh? It means just doing what you feel like doing. Your flesh has certain inclinations. Well, I just felt like giving him a dirty look, so I gave him a dirty look. You know, I just felt like wishing him harm, so I wished him harm. That's going by what the flesh. The spirit is like, you know, I feel like bumping this guy's bumper because of him cutting me off. But that would be very unkind. And besides, I'm supposed to love my enemies. And I'm going to pray for him instead. That's sowing to the Spirit. You're making a choice to sow to one or the other. Now, you know some people, they say, they, they start sowing to the flesh and they never expect the harvest. Whenever you sow a seed, what happens to that seed? How many does that seed become? Abundantly, right? Multiplied. So you sow one, you get 50 or 20 or 100. And they're like, oh, I don't know how I could have done that horrible thing and beat that person up or what. Well, you sowed to the flesh and then you reap the harvest. <laughs> That's what happened. So you didn't control your temper here and then here and then uh, uh, we got some serious problems here. All right. So be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But... He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's a guarantee. If you sow to the Spirit, if you walk not after the flesh, but you walk after the Spirit, after Jesus is leading, after His Word, you're His disciples, you are going to reap as sure of a harvest as you will reap if you sow to the flesh. God is not a respecter of persons. He's not changing the rules for any of us. And He's not going to exclude any one of us just because we don't happen to have the same talent or gift set or good looks or whatever as someone else. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. Your heritage doesn't matter. Your genetics don't matter. Your education essentially doesn't matter in your standing before God, although it's good to develop ourselves and our skills. What matters is, are we sowing to the Spirit? That's what matters. Because from the greatest evangelists, I don't care how great people think someone is, if they are a minister, if they are an evangelist, Billy Graham was not the source of his power. He was used by God, the same God that can use you and me. And that is the gospel, is that we all have equal access to that great Savior and Redeemer. There is life through Christ for each of us and revival. Jesus said, I am He that lives and was dead. He became us to know us. 
I am he that live and was dead. And behold, he says in Revelation chapter 1, I am alive forevermore and what? Have the keys. In verse 18 of Revelation 1, I have the keys of hell and of death. This word hell can be translated the grave. The grave and death in the Greek. I have the keys. He has the keys to revival for each one of us. Perhaps we have strayed. Perhaps we don't have that zeal for Christ that we had once, or perhaps we've never had it at all. Jesus can give us life. He can give us life. I'd like to read a short story that was relayed by a missionary. of a man who was in a concentration camp for spreading the faith in China. And the testimony by Mark Elliott was as follows. I remember listening to a missionary who had been imprisoned in a labor camp for attempting to spread the Christian faith in China. After his release, he was invited by various American churches to speak about his missionary experiences in China. Whenever talking to church groups, he would explain how Christians in the prison camp were unable to hold worship services, pray together, recite scripture, or sing Christian hymns. He told of a Christian in the camp assigned the particularly disgusting work detail of working in an outdoor pool of human sewage. It was a pool of human waste that had been brought there. This man, he recalled, worked in human excrement up to his waist every day. Now, most American Christians would think this is a suffering too great to bear. But this Chinese believer actually found reason to praise God for his nauseating job. Due to the stench of his work, the guards kept their distance and left him alone. In the solitude of those foul smells of open sewage, the man could pray out loud, recite scripture verses while he worked, and sing hymns as he pleased all day long. This man was truly grateful that his job made it possible to carry on these faith activities that so encouraged his faith. And so instead of interpreting his suffering as some kind of abandonment by the Lord or feeling sorry for himself, the man was able to see the great value in what he suffered, even while he shoveled human waste. I want to be revived so that regardless of my circumstances, I'm living above the clouds. Yes, I will feel the afflictions of life. Yes, I will be sad when I'm betrayed. And yet, I will have my head above the clouds so that as Jesus prayed for his enemies, as he served me when I was his enemy, I may have that life coming through me, infusing me, and going out to others. Let's sing our closing song. What a friend we have in Jesus.